Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujal, and Mahujal fathered Methusel, and Methusel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. Sorry, the first one was Jabal, and then there's Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. When I asked her to read that, she said, there's not like a lot of names in there. And I said, oh no, there's not too many names. You'll be all right. All right. So obviously we are in Genesis chapter 4 this week. Uh, You can turn there but we're mostly going to end up in a couple of other places as we kind of break this down. You're more than welcome to kind of follow along with the story again uh, as we are in there. Um, We're going to talk a lot about the idea of mercy this week. Uh, Caleb has been for the last few weeks talking a lot about God's provision. Uh, And specifically this week, I want to talk about God's God's mercy. Uh, The first merciful thing that happened to me was Caleb decided to take two weeks in chapter 3 and didn't start me at the beginning of chapter 5, which is just a genealogy. That was the original plan, is I was going to pick up at the beginning of chapter 5, and I said, you know that you're leaving me with just a whole long genealogy of all of Adam's descendants. And he said, yeah, have fun. 
No, he was, he was, he was, he was nice about it. So he went ahead and preached through two, two sermons in chapter 3. And I think that was good because we needed to really understand the depths of what, what the fall meant, the implications of what the fall meant, and, and just the character of God that was still present even after the fall, and the way that he continued to, to provide for his creation, continue to provide for Adam and Eve. And that's going to kind of continue this morning as we see, see God's mercy through you know, what at this point was the darkest and most evil moment in history at that point. Um, and, and I was trying to think, you know, like, what is a good example of mercy? I was sitting here trying to think, you know, talking about the idea of mercy and then... Um, this is just a little insight into, into who I am. Uh, I, I kind of occasionally enjoy a good Broadway number. Uh, we watched the, the Rent thing on Fox last week, and you, know, you get the Hamilton song stuck in your head. And, and one of the other ones that I've always had lots of songs, I, I, I promise I'm not really going to sing three numbers from Les Mis, but, but who's familiar with the story of Les Mis? A little bit? Okay, so, so in Les Mis, you really have these two primary characters who, who represent two opposite ideas. You have Jean Valjean and you have Javert. And that is correct pronunciation. I'm very proud I got those both right because they're not spelled that way. But, but you've got Jean Valjean who's, who's, this, who's this prisoner who's been locked in prison for, for however many years of his life. Uh, and, and, he's, and he's released after having served his term, after having served his sentence, and he's ready to go back out and, and, and make a life for himself again. And you have this other character named Javert who says, you will only ever be a prisoner. You'll only ever be a criminal. You'll never work again. You're going to carry this piece of paper around with you that says, you are not worth hiring. You are not worth loving. You are just another criminal. And you're going you're to have this stain on you the rest of your life. You're broken. You're garbage. You're not worth anything. And so you have this, this guy who, who represents the idea of the law. And the law says you've broken the law and you're forever broken. And then you have Jean Valjean who, who is a former thief and had tried to escape prison and had tried to do all of these things and had served his term. And he comes out and, and the first place he ends up is he stays at this, this church and at night while everybody's asleep he decides I'm going to try to just steal as much of the, the stuff in this place as I can so I can maybe go sell it so I can afford to eat. And so he steals this, and, and, he's, and he's arrested and brought back uh, into the church, and the officer says, we caught this man trying to steal all of your things. And he says to the priest, are you ready to press charges so we can throw this guy back in jail because he's just a criminal? And the priest says, oh, no, no, no. I gave him those things. He should have those things. I want him to have that so that he can go afford to start a new life again. Right. He, he showed Jean Valjean mercy. And in that moment, he has, if you know the story, Jean Valjean has this whole long introspective moment where he's trying to say, what am I going to do with my life? This guy has just given me an undeserved second chance. Right? I deserved this punishment. I deserved to be thrown back in jail. And this guy showed me mercy. In spite of who I am, in spite of what I've done, he says, he says, I'm giving you this opportunity so that you can do something now with your life. And for the rest of his life, he and Javert kind of, kind of go along parallel to one another, but one always representing this idea of justice for the lawbreaker. 
and one representing this idea of mercy for the lawbreaker, this idea of undeserved uh, relief. Even though he's a sinner, even though he's broken, even though he's doing all these things, he is the, he, as he's been shown mercy, he too wants to demonstrate mercy for the rest of his life. And, and that is so representative of who our God is. That is so representative of the way that he works, even in Genesis chapter 4, when, when we see the first recorded human death that the world had known, right? Remember when, when, when the serpent came to deceive Eve and Adam, and he said, oh, you eat that, you're not going to die right away. He's trying to say, this isn't going to cost you your life. There's, there's not going to be all this pain and suffering that you're afraid is going to happen. And no, the moment they eat it, it didn't, it didn't kill them right away. They didn't fall down on the ground just dead right there the moment they ate the fruit, right? No, that didn't happen. But, but death was going to follow. And death through, through us having these broken bodies that wither away and get sick and, and can be hurt. But also just the presence of sin. And we see this playing out in this story here between Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, that, that just the presence of sin within humanity leads to pain and brokenness and ultimately death. So let's look at this interaction between, between Cain and Abel. Because what is it we saw? We see two brothers who, who have two completely different jobs. One is a herdsman. He raises the flocks. One works the ground. He raises the fruits and veggies. All of these are good things. This isn't, this isn't, a, this isn't meant to be sort of a, let's talk about what kind of job is better a herdsman or a farmer. It's not trying to take down farming as an industry. That's not the purpose of what uh, the passage is trying to say. But, but you have these two brothers who have kind of parallel lives. They're, they're both sons of Adam and Eve. They're both working their jobs. They're both, they're both kind of overseeing parts of creation just like we had been called to do, right? As, as creations, as people being made in the image of God. We were given work before the fall. Caleb talked about that over the last couple of weeks. They're, they're at work. They're doing the work that they've been called to do. And so, and so they're both at work. They're both kind of producing the thing that they've been called to do. I mean, look at, I mean, if you think specifically, Cain's, Cain's job was specifically what Adam was originally called to do. Like, he's got the primo job. He's got the job that Adam was originally given. Go work the ground, raise the crops, eat the food, Right? This was, this was part of the original calling when Adam was created. So, so as we look at this story, I don't want you to think that just because Cain brought an, uh, a, a, a fruit sacrifice and Abel brought an animal sacrifice that I'm saying an animal sacrifice is better. Because that's not the point of the passage. That's not, what, that's not the reason that God rejected Cain's offering. So why did God reject Cain? Cain's offering? What was, what was different about these two? Because I think if we can understand what was different, why God treated each of them differently when they brought their offering, we can understand something more about God and understand something more about ourselves. Hebrews 11.4, it'll be on the screen, says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, he died and he still speaks. So, so why did God reject Cain's offering? Because their heart state, Cain and Abel's heart state, was in a different place. It was through Abel's faith that he was still 
in God's presence. And it was through the brokenness in Cain's heart. And we'll, and we'll see this a little bit more in just a second. But, but they both come to it with acceptable offerings. Now, you might have heard somebody teach before, well, maybe it says that, that Abel took from the best and Cain just brought some of what he had. And, and maybe there's something to that. But I think we would be reading a little bit too much into the text to say, well, it's because he just took some of his abundance of crops and brought it to God. And what Abel brought was obviously probably more sacrificial. I think that would be reading into the text a bit too much. I don't know that that's necessarily present here. So we have to look at something more than what they physically brought to God for their offering to him. And instead we see that what they brought is not just an offering, but what they brought is a representation of themselves. Their desire to worship God, their desire to sacrifice something to God represented their heart state. And so their heart states were in a different place. And so we see that God had favor on Abel's offering, but Cain's he rejected. He had no regard. And it says, so Cain, and this is in verse 5, so Cain was very angry and fell on his face. And the Lord said to Cain, and this is, I think, really important. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Even in this moment where, where Cain's offering is being rejected, God is merciful in that he doesn't say, all right, that's it, I'm done with you. He says, all right. Your heart's not in the right place today, but it's okay. There's still hope. Your heart can, you, can, you can approach me with a, different, with a different heart state. You can come to me ready to offer this thing sacrificially to me. You can get this right. It's kind of an encouraging word from God, right? He says, you can do this. This is a thing that can happen. And I think that's interesting because, because in this story we tend to see God, God loves Abel's offering. God hated Cain's offering. Cain gets mad, kills his brother. God kicks Cain out, right? That's, that's the story. That's the bullet point version. But, but that step in the middle, God rejects Cain's offering and encourages Cain to change his heart and come back to the Lord, right? That's really what's amazing here is he's saying it doesn't have to end at where you're going. You don't have to stop with anger. You don't have to go on this murderous route that you're about to take. You can still be redeemed. Like, like, it's just a changing of your heart state and coming back and trying to get, like, we can do this. We can get there. And I think that's an interesting invitation that I had never noticed before, before I was really studying it for this sermon. Just this encouragement from God that, that there is hope. I'm not done with you. Just because you messed this thing up doesn't mean I'm done. Just because, and, and maybe this is the point that, that he's trying to get at. Just because we are sinful. Just because our hearts aren't necessarily right in, any, in one particular moment, that doesn't, that doesn't disqualify us from interaction with God. There's no, there's no one moment that, that ends us with Him. And God's reminding Cain and ultimately us in, that, in this moment, hey, you messed up. You're not in the right place. But there's still hope. You can still do this. Your heart can still change. But it says that, that Cain was already angry in his heart and he resolved to go, you know, we read all this. He, he resolved to go call his brother out the field and, and killed him. And that's what, that's, it, it's not a drawn out thing. There's no conversation. He says, and he killed him. Just done. Just completely. It almost comes across as completely without emotion. Like he was just, he was angry. He was done. It was going to happen. No thought given. But here's the thing. His response revealed what was already in his heart. John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 11 says, 
For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. His actions weren't where it all went wrong. His actions were the overflow of what was already in his heart. He was already angry. He already hated his brother, right? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. It, it began with where his heart state was. Just like, just like the rejection of his offering started with where his heart state was because his heart wasn't after God. His actions that followed were a result not... Uh, that wasn't the moment where he went wrong, but that was the moment that revealed where his heart actually was from the beginning. But again, this isn't a moment for us to just sit here and say, and Cain's a bad guy, and God got rid of him, and that's great. Right? This isn't just, this isn't just that Javert moment that I was talking about earlier where he's like, you broke the law, you're done. Yeah, he does, he does send him away, right? He does, he does curse him and send his family, he and his family away, kind of never to be seen or heard from again, I guess, in a sense. But, but even in punishing Cain, God is still merciful, right? Because what was Cain's response? You're going to run me off, but, but now my punishment is greater than I can bear, verse 13. Behold, you've driven me away from the ground. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. He's like, yeah, that's great. You're sending me away. But man, now, now, I'm, now I'm a marked man. Somebody, if they find me, they're just going to kill me. And God says, no, I'm going to protect you. If anybody kills Cain, it's going to be worse for them than it is for him. Right? Even in punishing Cain, God is still showing a form of mercy. He's still, he's still showing some level of concern for Cain. And I think it's, inter- it's easy to lose sight of the fact that, that his punishment, sure, he, he killed his brother, and, and you'd be like, but there are verses that say, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, all of this. But, but even, even before we get that part of the law, the how do you handle when somebody murders somebody else, or how do you handle when somebody accidentally kills somebody, we've read all these things, right? Even in that moment, when it would make the most sense, he killed his brother, God should just let him be killed. God demonstrates mercy. God demonstrates restraint. Right? Because because the worst punishment was already that his heart was not after God, and he was ultimately not going to be with him. Right? Verse 15 of John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He's saying, ultimately, that's the end for him. Because, because his heart isn't in the right place. Right? I mean, I mean think about the difference in, in his response when God came to him than when God came to Adam and Eve that we studied last week, right? Right after the fall, God comes and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, here I am. God comes today to Cain and he says, Cain, where's your brother? He says, I don't know. Not my responsibility. Right? He's dismissive. 
He's unrepentant. He's not broken over what's happened. Right? Yes, Adam and Eve kind of tried to pass blame, but they still fessed up to what they did. But with Cain, he's just dismissive and rejecting. His heart, his heart is in the wrong place, and that's ultimately why his ultimate punishment is that he's not going to have eternal life. And so, and so God sends him away, and he says, and we get this long description of who his family is turns out to be. And we get these descriptions of who they are and after, name after name after name after name after name until we get to, to Lamech. And then, and then you get this guy who says, you know, just bragging to his wives, he says, you know, this one guy, he, he kind of hit me the other day, so I killed him. You know, young guy walked up, pushed me, killed him. Like, we see this, this following in the lineage of his father, Cain. Right? He's, he even seems proud to say, oh, if Cain's punishment was, was sevenfold, then mine should be 77-fold. I, I'm the one. I'm real bad, and I'm proud of it. Right? We see this, this following in his father's footsteps, this, this idea that, that lineage is a thing, this idea that, that what we are and what we hand down to our kids and what we hand down to our grandkids is, is, is important for us to be concerned for. Because the reality is, Cain's heart was not after God. And his family kind of fell apart and fell deeper and deeper into brokenness, the brokenness of sin and the brokenness of depravity the farther in it went. And throughout this whole story, this whole interaction between Cain and Abel and then Cain's descendants just just demonstrates that that the farther into depravity humanity falls, there's this diminishing of the valuing of the idea that we are image bearers of God. They lose sight of who they are. They lose sight of the value of human life to the point that he's dismissive. Oh, yeah, guy made me mad, killed him. What are you going to do? This hasn't been, this has never been more apparent than, I don't know how up to speed you are on lots of current events, but uh, there was a video that came out this last week of a law being passed in New York allowing uh, late-term abortions that was met with thunderous applause. There was a video that came out of of a legislator from Virginia explaining a bill that she was proposing that said if a mother is actively going into labor, her law would allow for an abortion to be performed that moment. Like baby being born, we can have that baby killed if it's going to cause some sort of pain for me. If it's physical, mental, emotional, anything. It basically removes any restriction. Depravity has taken our, our society to a place where, where there is no valuing of human life. There is no valuing of humanity. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't just stop with, with babies. It, it is, it's everyone. 
It's everybody. The way, we, the way we love one another, the way we love people that we don't necessarily agree with online. We treat like they're not human and we tell them all sorts of mean things because it's so easy to pull out a phone and from an anonymous place say something that you don't like about somebody. Tell them they're not worth anything. Tell them they should, shouldn't exist. Tell them they're not worth anything, you know. We can be dismissive of people that we don't know or that we're, we're afraid to be around because they're not like us or because they're coming from a, 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 life, a place in life where they, aren't, they haven't had the same experience as we have or maybe, maybe we feel like, like I'm better than they are. I mean, we just spent time praying just a few minutes ago for so many people who are struggling with addiction and it's so easy to be like, I don't want to be around those kinds of people. And that mentality can so easily work its way. That, that kind of language can work its way into the way that we speak that we don't even recognize that what we're saying is, I am more valuable as a human being than that person. It doesn't, it doesn't just stop with the fact that, that our country is now celebrating killing babies that are, that are perfectly viable and ready to be born right now. It doesn't, it doesn't stop with the fact that, that somebody who has some sort of struggle with addiction or struggle with poverty, and we feel embarrassed to be around them, we feel embarrassed to be associated with them, we don't treat them as if they are valued creature, uh, creations made in the image of God the way that we ought to. But that's where our society has gotten because, because we've fallen so far into depravity, Right? And that's what happened with Cain's offspring. The farther into depravity they fell, the more dismissive they became of humanity. And they said, we're done. It's fine. I killed a guy. It's great. I'm a pretty bad guy. He's proud of it. But that's the lineage that followed Cain because that's the lineage that he passed on because his heart was not after God. But that's not where it stops. Because that's not where the chapter ends. It was in verse 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born. And he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. A couple things I want us to see in here. One, at the very beginning of chapter, of chapter 4, when, when Adam and Eve first had Cain and Abel, her immediate response was, I've been given a son. God's promise of redemption is coming. Right? She's already looking forward to when God would fix sin. Right? End of chapter 3, everything's broken, but God says, I'm going to fix this. Your offspring is going to overcome this. First thing that happens, she's got her eyes set on where God is going to fix this. She has, she has a son. She says, this could be it. Maybe he's the one. Maybe God's going to fix this now. And then we see what happens. Cain's heart is broken and in sin. He murders his brother Abel. And she's, she's left with nothing. It, she could be hopeless. Maybe, the, maybe this isn't going to actually happen. But at the end, she gets this reminder. She has another son and says, look. God has been merciful to us. He's given me another son. The hope for redemption is still alive. God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't left us in our brokenness. She has a new son who has another son. And what does it say? And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. 
We see the difference in these two sets of descendants. You have the one whose heart is not after God, leading to more and more depravity, more and more rejection of the idea of the value of humanity. And then you have Seth, whose, whose son begins to pass on the name of the Lord to his family. Eve, at the beginning of the chapter, it begins with hope. She's hopeful. God's going to fix this. It's going to happen sooner than I thought. And at the end, she sees her hope restored because God is merciful. Just like we've been saying all along. God is demonstrating mercy in the way He deals with Cain. And God is is merciful in that He sends her another son right away. Even amidst the greatest evil the world had yet known. Right? This was as bad as it had gotten. And we've gotten a whole lot better being a whole lot worse. But at this point, nothing like this had ever happened. Even amidst the greatest evil the world had yet known, mercy and grace were still on their way. Her hope for a future Redeemer was still present. She had a new son, and that meant God could still be faithful to His promise to bring about redemption. Even in the moment when her son has, both her sons have been taken away from her, she still knows that Jesus is coming. And we've talked about this. We don't want this to just be a study of facts and dates and people's names and trivia, Bible trivia, as we study this book. Everything in this book is pointing us toward Jesus. Her hope at the beginning is, the Redeemer is coming, I have a son. Her hope at the end is, the Redeemer is still coming. He may not be coming the way that she had originally expected. She may have thought, oh, maybe Cain or Abel, maybe this is the Redeemer, maybe this is the hope, or maybe they're going to lead to it. And And then evil ensues because we are broken, because we are sinful, because humanity is fallen and we are lost in our depravity. But just because sin is present does not mean God is not still working out His plan. Does not mean redemption isn't still on its way. Just because there is a roadblock or, or what we thought, what we assumed was the solution was not really the solution does not mean that God is having to change His plan. He's not having to react and come up with a new plan because everything got mixed up. No, this is exactly how God intended this to work out. Why? So that he could demonstrate the depravity of humanity. So that he could also demonstrate his mercy on the lawbreaker. And so that he could restore hope yet again and continue. And I think, I think, this is, I think it wouldn't be here if it wasn't important. The fact that, that Eve saw, oh, there's still hope, I have another son. I don't think that that point would be made so clearly if it wasn't that God wanted us to see he was going to restore her hope and do it in a way that she hadn't yet expected. Because in all of this, all of this, all of the sin and death, and the sin and the death that we are around, we are, like, I, like I said, we now live in a society that erupts in applause when we pass laws that say we can kill babies that are ready to come out. Like that's where we are. Even amidst the greatest evil the world had yet known, 
mercy, and grace have already been provided. Because we know Jesus came. We know mercy and grace are available for us. We, 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 we see the solution. We know what fixes that depravity. We know what restores our hope in the idea of humanity. We know what restores the, the value of human life. And it's knowing the creator of human life. And it's knowing the salvation that God had promised have, has come. And so, even though we are in a world that, has, that looks as bad and as broken as it ever has, we are the ones, like Cain, who, who know love, who know hope. And, and I think we as people should, should be able to see a story like this and be amazed at the mercy and the grace of God. Be amazed that, that He does not leave us in our brokenness, just like we talked at the beginning. Even though we deserve to be thrown back in jail for stealing the stuff from the church, we're given mercy. We're given a second chance. We're given hope. And if you don't know that, if you don't know Jesus that way, I want you to see the, the amazing mercy and grace of our God and the amazing grace and mercy that, that all these people that we're going to continue to study over the next several months as we work our way through this book the hope that they were looking forward to, we can know right now. 